The more we sing those gospel acclamations together, the more you'll pick up on the fact that the verse we sing is an incredibly powerful summary of our focus for the day. We see that focus in our sermon text, the gospel from Luke chapter 8. They sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Good morning. How are you guys today? It's good to see you. Thanks for coming up. I'd like to take a few minutes today to talk to you about fear. You've all been afraid of something at some point in your life. And while it may not always be true, I think most of the time our fear is connected to us realizing that something is out of our control or that we are weaker than we thought we were. If you're in the dark and you're afraid of the dark, well, why? It's because you can't see, right? And because you can't see, you don't know if something dangerous is out there or not. You might think, well, there's probably nothing dangerous out there in in my basement, but I can't see if there is. And so you might be afraid. I'd like to think that I'm a pretty strong man, but you know what's true? There are a lot of men who are stronger than me, a lot stronger than me. If somebody stronger than me tried to attack me, what am I going to do? 
that might lead us to be afraid if we realize we're weaker than we thought. Somebody else is stronger than us. We like to be in control. We like to know what's around us. And if we feel like we're not in control, if we don't know what's around us, if we feel like we don't have power, then we're afraid. Today we're going to talk about Jesus' power. And as we talk about Jesus' power, we're going to be reminded why we don't need to be afraid of anything. That's hard for us sinners to get into our head. But Jesus is so powerful that we really don't need to be afraid of anything at all. Because our Savior is more powerful than everything else in the world. Somebody could try to take our lives from us. But Jesus has saved us, and we would spend eternity with him in heaven. That's not bad. Jesus is more powerful than sin. He's taken it all away. Jesus is more powerful than death. He rose from the dead, and he will raise us from the dead too. Today we're going to focus on Jesus' power over evil. We're going to focus on the fact that we have a Savior who is more powerful than anything who could try to harm us. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, as weak, sinful human beings, it is very, very easy for us to forget how powerful you are. It is very, very easy for us to rely on our own strength. And when we do that, we end up being afraid. Help us to remember how strong you are each and every day of our lives. Help us to trust in you for protection and trust in you alone. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Use your powerful word to drive away the forces of evil that surround us. Our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. It may seem that there is more evil in the world today than ever before. And I suppose if we mean more in the sense of quantity because there are more people on the earth today than there were a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, okay. If we mean more in the sense that our, our methods of communication bring news of evil to us more now than they ever have, okay. But evil itself hasn't changed. In the 8th century B.C., about 2,750 years ago, the Lord sent the prophet Isaiah to his people with words of woe. And as Isaiah was sharing those words of woe with the people who would listen to him, he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. 
Nothing's changed. There might be more human beings on the earth today than there were when Isaiah wrote down those words of woe. We might hear about evil more than people in Isaiah's day did. But it hasn't changed. The world is still full of people who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It is hard for the 21st century American Christian, you and me, to put ourselves into the narrative that we just read from the Gospel of Luke. It is hard for us to imagine getting off of that boat with Jesus in the region of the Gerizines and seeing a man naked roaming around the tombs possessed by demons. You don't like that thought, do you? You find that that picture intimidating, don't you? You would not like to come face to face with a naked man consumed by the power of demons who is so physically strong that he has literally broken shackles placed on him by people who tried to confine him. When I first read through this text this week, I I found it strange to find the first mention of fear where I found it. We would think that the disciples would get off the boat and huddle behind Jesus for fear of the man. (laughs) But that's not when we first hear about fear. We don't hear about fear till the demons are long gone, the pigs drowned, the man clothed, sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. That's when we first hear about fear. Take a listen once again. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. At first I found that really strange. Why are they afraid then? When they're in the presence of the guy who's clearly more powerful than the demons that had once possessed this man, when the demons are gone and the man is no longer a fright to be in his presence, he's got clothes on and he's in his right mind. Why afraid then? But I don't think it's that strange. If you think about how we tend to deal with evil. It sounds like at one point this man was bound and in the prison, which probably would have been in the town. But then he broke his shackles and was driven out into the remote places. And I have a feeling that's how the people in the town liked it. They preferred it when he was out of sight, out of mind. They preferred it when the evil was roaming around by the pigs in the tombs, the unclean places where they didn't go. And I think you and I are like that too. We prefer our evil out of sight, out of mind. We like our evil far away where we don't have to think about it or deal with it. We certainly don't want to confront it. What made them afraid? 
The kingdom of God had come and confronted the evil that was in their midst, and that made them afraid. And I think if you're honest, the same is true for you. You don't like the idea of confronting evil. It is June in America, and you know what that means. It's Pride Month. We are in the midst of those who call evil good and good evil. They surround us. We are bombarded by it. Every corporation that has a decent market share is bombarding us with messages calling evil good and good evil. Do you like the idea of confronting that? Does that make you comfortable? What would it look like if the kingdom of God confronted that evil? You don't like that thought. It's scary for you. Sexual freedom is preached and proclaimed as a new gospel. It has been for many decades. And when sexual freedom would result in a pregnancy that is undesirable, it would be too much of a burden, then that child can just be done away with. Darkness is substituted for light, and light for darkness, bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Bitter hatred of God and neighbor replaces sweet love of God and neighbor. This is the world we live in. We are, we are surrounded by it. So what does it look like to confront Are you asked as individuals in this room to go out and wage a war against the media or against any opposition group of people who preach these messages of Satan? Has this changed? Is this really new? In Isaiah's day and in the day of Jesus, Idol worship was much more common than it is today. You've maybe heard of the Baals and Asherah. It was the same doctrines of Satan. The same ones that we see today. Sexual liberty, child sacrifice. It just came in a different package. But Satan was teaching the same lies then that he teaches today. He taught people to call evil good, good evil, to substitute darkness for light and bitterness for sweet. Satan's up to the same things now that he was then. What does it look like to confront evil? What did it look like then? What does it look like now? Is it not true that Satan preaches his doctrines to individuals? One professor teaching one student at a time. One ideologue preaching his or her doctrine to one individual at a time. Satan gets one person at a time. And they might come together and form a group, a group that preaches evil. But Jesus does not ask you to go out and do battle against the group Jesus does not ask you to, to go out into the world and, and, and straighten out the organizations that have it wrong. 
Jesus tells you to do the same thing that he told this demon-possessed man to do once the demons had been driven away from him. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This man got it. Jesus tells him, you go tell how much God has done for you, and he goes and tells how much Jesus had done for him. He knew exactly who Jesus is. And what did he do? He went and told people what Jesus, God in the flesh, had done for him as an individual. This is what it looks like to confront evil. It's really not so challenging. You don't need to be an expert in discussing LGBTQ issues. You don't need to be an expert in understanding the development of a human life in the womb. God doesn't ask you to do that. He says, tell how much God has done for you. Tell what Jesus has done for you. And there are people in your life, individuals, of this I'm certain, who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, bitterness for sweet and sweet for bitterness. And you are not called to come up with the perfect argument You are not called to to figure out how to dismantle their belief system. You are called to tell what Jesus has done for you. And what has he done for you? The Son of God came into this world to defeat the power of sin and death. The many sins that you and I have committed throughout the entirety of our life Jesus endured the punishment for those sins. He paid that fine. We are free. By clinging to him and to him alone as our only source of hope, God counts us righteous, right with him. He credits righteousness to our account as if we were the ones who perfectly obeyed him every moment of our lives when in fact it was Jesus Jesus makes us right with God. And the part of that that we got to focus on with people who, who call evil good and good evil is to preach both law and gospel, to show them what God says about right and wrong. Because it's how we know our own sin. If God in his word did not tell us what is absolutely right and what is absolutely wrong, we would not know our own sin. And so you just talk about yourself. You talk about how God in his grace and mercy used his absolute standard of right and wrong in his word to help you as an individual understand just how sinful you are, just as God in his word has shown me how sinful I am. And without hope, Then you share the gospel of hope. This is what God has done for me. He sent his one and only son into the world that I might live through him, that I might be freed of all my sin. It's intimidating to confront evil, but only if you're relying on your own power. 
Jesus places the power of his word on your lips and mine. When you tell someone what God has done for you in Jesus, you are not speaking your own words. You are speaking God's words. When you tell someone, when you tell evil possessed people what God has done for you, you are speaking the powerful words of God and evil flees. It has no choice. Jesus is clear in what he asks us to do. Tell how much God has done for you. Today, we begin to focus and to celebrate on the power found in God's word. It is so powerful, this word of our God, that evil flees in its presence. Do not be afraid of the evil in the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Simply say what Jesus has done for you and the powers of evil will run. Amen. Just one final encouragement for you. I know we are living in a world where we are all thinking about the the topic of today's sermon all the time. We're surrounded by evil and it's hard. It's hard even to open your mouth and simply tell what God has done for you. It is incredibly important to to look at people who are speaking these evil words and see them as individuals. See them as an individual soul for whom Jesus died. Try to see them the same way Jesus saw this man who was possessed by many demons. Jesus died for them too, as an individual. Jesus loves that person too, as an individual. Whoever you're thinking about, whoever's on your mind, on your heart, whoever does that exchange, that woe to you exchange that the prophet Isaiah talked about, that person's an individual, one single soul for whom Jesus died. It is hard sometimes to open our mouths and to tell what Jesus has done for us, but the words, the power is in the word itself. Trust the power of the word and love that individual the same way that someone loved you to share God's word with you. It's a great privilege our God gives us to to go home and tell how much God has done for us. And so I send you home today and, and give you this one simple thing. Go home and tell how much God has done for you. Blessings to you all this week.